the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days, or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Good evening, everybody. Ron Geyer back with more End Time Insights. Hallelujah. We appreciate the privilege of doing this. I thank the Lord for opening this door. And I hope you understand what we do, why we do it. You know, we do this show because actually we do the show for the same reason we're alive, because we want you to know God. It's the only way you're getting to heaven. And not just the generic God, the religious God, the pagan God who mankind in his own mind has recreated in his own reasoning. We want you to know the God of the Bible, not the God of religion, but the true God who speaks to us through Jesus. He speaks to us through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. He speaks to us through the written word of God, which lives and abides forever and ever. He is eternal, as are you being made in his image, and we wish to help you to know him because that's the only way that you will spend eternity with him. So take what we say to heart. We study. We invest this. We have no ulterior motive. We don't want your money. We don't need your money. We don't need your words of approval, your affirmation, or a pat on the back. We're fine. Uh, I married a great woman. I've got great friends. I get enough of that. <laughs> But we just want you to know we appreciate you. We care for your soul. Hallelujah. We've been talking about God and judgment because a lot of stuff is going on right now. And the world, uh, through the misrepresentation by the church, does not know what's happening. So last week we were speaking about how God judges the church. We talked to you about the uh, incident with Ananias and Sapphira where they lied to the Holy Spirit. They sold some land. They wanted to give it to the church, but they decided to hold some back. So uh, they bought X amount into the church and they actually deceived or attempted to deceive the Holy Spirit of God. But they were found out. Both Ananias, uh, the husband, and Sapphira, the wife, were both killed by God for lying to the Holy Spirit. Remember, we spoke about all the great stuff that started happening again. The fear of the Lord was manifest in the church and You saw signs and wonders, miracles, healings, deliverances. You saw persecution come. Uh, You saw a great amount of people added to the church, all because judgment took place in the church and it birthed fear of the Lord. So today I want to pick up on that. I want to give you one more instance where God judges the church within before I talk about uh, judgments outside of the church or judgments upon the world. But... It's found in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven, and it talks about communion. We closed last week talking about Jesus judging the church now, and I wanted to make a good, strong, solid case that you understand that. People don't think he does that, but, you know, 
We always thought of God as love, and therefore there's no judgment. Now we're under grace, therefore there's no judgment, and we've got it all wrong. Let me read you the scriptures. We'll talk about communion and show you how God is trying still, just like Jesus did in the days of Ananias and Sapphira, to keep you judging yourself, to keep you clean and holy. Remember, judgment within the body of Christ is the self-cleansing mechanism within the body of Christ. Okay, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, that's really intense. That's really deep. He is not talking about being unworthy to partake of communion. That's not what he's referencing. He is using unworthy to describe the behavior of the Corinthian Christians in their approaching the table of the Lord. The Christians there had reduced communion basically to just a common meal with no understanding, no reverence for what they were doing. They were guilty of irreverence for the body of Christ. And Paul urged the Corinthians to judge themselves so that they wouldn't be judged. And he pointed out that even the Lord's judgment was for their benefit. We read that last week in uh, verse 32, I believe it was, where it talked about the fact that if we refuse to judge ourselves, uh, then what would happen is we would be chastened of the Lord. And he does that so that we're not condemned with the judgment of the world that's coming upon them. We're separate. We're different. The church does not have to go through that. One of the blessings and abilities and abundant blessings of the Lord is that if we would judge ourselves daily, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged like the world is. They are judged coming up to condemnation. That's not us. We've already been judged. We've passed that. Thank you, Jesus, for your death, burial, and resurrection. Hallelujah. First Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. We are supposed to examine ourselves. Communion. Yes, it's a time where we are remembering the body of Christ, what he did for us. But before we partake of that, we are required to check ourselves out to make sure there's no sin in our lives. There's no unforgiveness in our lives. There's no outright uh, disobedience in our lives, sins of omission, sins of commission. It is there we can get clean before we partake of the table of the Lord. Uh, Who wrote this? John MacArthur put it this way. Before we partake of communion, we ought to give ourselves a thorough self-examination, looking honestly at our hearts for anything that should not be there and sifting out all evil. Our motives, our attitudes toward the Lord and his word, toward his people, and toward the communion table itself should all come under the private scrutiny before the Lord. The table thus becomes a special place for purification of the church. This is a vital use of communion, and Paul's warning reinforces that same ideal. And 1 Corinthians 11.29, we're going 11.27, 11.28, 11.29, 11.30, right down to Paul's instructions on taking communion. Uh, Verse 29, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself and not discerning the Lord's body. Wow. So I'd never seen this before, that the time of communion is a time of judgment, I go, wow, show me that. And so here it is right there. He who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. And this is in keeping with if you will judge yourself, you'll not be judged. But if you are taking communion in an unworthy manner, it means you have not judged yourself. Therefore, you are drinking judgment to yourself from the Lord, not discerning the Lord's body. I mean, what he did was special. What he did 
Only one other person ever did it. What he did, it nobody ever had that happen. I'm sorry, one other person. He's the only person that ever gave himself willingly for our sin. And what that has enabled us to become is life-changing. It's a life-changing event for all eternity. And we need to respect that when we come before the table of the Lord. It's like when we worship the Lord, man. You know, I check myself out before I'm coming to worship his presence. I want him to hear me. I want to receive of him what he has for me in his presence. But if I'm harboring sin, unrepented sin, unconfessed sin, then there's a very good chance that I'm going to miss out on experiencing his presence. I don't know that I've ever heard anyone really speak on this subject about communion and uh, the benefits of it, the requirements of it. It will most definitely raise our level of understanding about the Lord's Supper, and hopefully it'll raise our standard when we prepare to partake of it. Commentator Constable, judgment is inevitable at the Lord's table. I never knew that. Judgment is inevitable at the Lord's table. We judge ourselves before we partake, and then we participate in a worthy manner, or God will judge us. Now, this is some serious business here. I am constantly aware and constantly reminded of the strength of the judgment upon Ananias and Sapphira, God actually killed them for lying to the Holy Ghost of God. Here we see now communion, judgment is inevitable at the Lord's table, 1 Corinthians 11.30. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Sleep is another word for many are dead. Verse 29, he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. Verse 30, for this reason, what reason? For eating and drinking in an unworthy manner. For this reason, many are weak, many are sick, and many are dead. I mean, look at communion and give it the proper respect that to do it. That's what God's telling us here. So there's judgment in the church right there at the communion table. Many of us are sick. We don't know why. You know, Christians die. Well, they were such good people. Why did they die? Well, perhaps they were not partaking communion in the way that they should have. That's some heavy-duty judgment right there. Let me break down that for this reason. I love the phrase for this reason in the Bible. For this reason, another way of saying for this reason is why. This is why something happens. And the Bible's full of scriptures that say who, what, when, where, how. But when you get a why scripture, your antenna need to go up. God is not only going to tell you the who, the when, the what, the where, the how. He is going to tell you his reason for putting that in the book. I think that's so fascinating. It's just uh, me, my antenna go up and I look, okay, good. Like, for instance, uh, for this reason shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I love it. God's going to tell you why he wants you to get married. Whoa, that's great. Why do I get married? Well, let me tell you why. It's an awesome scripture. I've got this quote here. I've never heard of this gentleman before. His name is Krell, K-R-E-L-L. And he explains what's going on in communion here. It's a paragraph. It has been said, God has been known to give dishonorable discharges. In other words, eventually God says, enough is enough. I was just having a conversation with my producers. We walked in. She was relating about how a criminal, a lifelong criminal, finally got electrocuted while he was stealing some copper wire. And she made this statement. You know, there's a point where God just says enough is enough. And this writer reiterates here. God says enough is enough. Your time is up. Why does God do this? 
for the simple reason that he loves us and wants to ensure that we are in fellowship with him. Catch this next sentence. Since pain gets our attention, he uses pain. Sometimes Christ sees that we need sickness for the good of our soul more than we need healing for the good of our bodies. I've got to repeat that. Let that sink in. Sometimes Christ sees that we need sickness for the good of our souls more than healing for the good of our bodies. But even when he resorts to this form of discipline, he does so because he loves us. And God is dead serious about his body. Just ask Ananias and Sapphira. An example of this principle is found in Exodus fifteen twenty six, where Moses said, If you will diligently obey the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and pay attention to his commandments and give ear to his statutes, then I will not bring on you all of the diseases that I bought on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. And we'll get that. Actually, that's got to be, I know where that scripture is. Yes, that's Exodus fifteen twenty six. And I quote that when I pray, Lord God, you healed an entire nation. You can definitely heal my body. You can heal my wife. You can heal my friend. You can heal the person I'm praying for because you proved it in Exodus 15, 26, that your healing power was in an entire nation. Therefore, when I pray for this one or two, I know you've got the power. I know you've got the authority. I know you've got the ability. I know you've got the heart to do it. Yet, look at all this stuff that comes in there that qualifies it. Number one, if you will A, diligently obey the Lord, if you will B, do what is right in his sight, C, and pay attention to his commandments, D, give ear to his statutes. You got to do four things before you can consider yourself uh, the recipient of the truth of that scripture there. We don't teach on that. We just focus on, I am the Lord, your healer. Well, that's nice, but it's qualified by you doing four things before that. So a reason that people are sick and dying is because they have not examined themselves. These are people sick and dying in the church. These are people who are serious about God. How do I know that? Because they're receiving communion. People that aren't serious about God don't participate in the communion in the table of the Lord. But people who are serious about God do participate in this holy sacrament. And it's a reason that people are sick and dying because they have not examined themselves properly before taking communion. Communion is serious business. God does not fool around with his body. Yes, he has shown he is most willing to judge his church most harshly, even to the point of death. We must understand that. But the good news is the judgment for the Christian takes place now on the earth. The judgment for the sinner is awaiting him until the final judgment when he will be condemned and sentenced for his sin, his unrepented sin. Now, this quote in this teaching, what I've said recently just about Jesus healing, about um, God killing, about sometimes pain uh, is good for the soul, more so than healing for the good of our bodies. I know it's definitely flying right in the face of most religious teachings, even ours, some stuff that I've learned in the past, yet it's right there in God's Word. The Word of God, we claim that we live by it. The Word we claim is perfect. The Word we claim is absolute. The Word that we claim is eternal. It's the Word which God says lives and abide forever. Now it's up to us to believe it. It's up to us to get this message out, to let the world, uh, while we're still on the church, but to let the church know this is why people are in trouble in the church. 
Now we need to take these judgments and we need to explain them to the world. Uh, based on the word that we've just read, we've got to admit that our religion's been wrong. Yes, God can use pain. Yes, God can use sickness. And yes, God can even use death to judge us for the purpose of correction. God cares little for what I think. I've learned that. He is concerned with what I believe, his word. Remember, there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end, there are other ways of death. So I think I made the case in the last few weeks about God judging within the church today. And so once we can get that down and live our lives according to the warnings of uh, Jesus Christ written in his word, then we can start dealing with how can we warn the world about the judgments that we're living under. People don't realize that I say this all the time. Matter of fact, I just had to leave my church because I told this to my pastor that judgment uh, came in the form of coronavirus. And now people think it's the devil. People think it came straight from hell. Let's go into that. Let me explain it to you. I'm going to take the rest of this week and next week to make a biblical case why I just said that, why I believe it. And I believe once I reveal the word to you, the Holy Spirit will give you revelation knowledge and you'll understand things better. Once you understand the whys behind the coronavirus, you'll be able to minister to a dying world more effectively. Let me give you an uh, overview. It's called the 30,000 feet overview, looking down from what's going on in the earth today uh, concerning God's timeline. Okay, the prophets of old told us what both blessings of obedience and cursings for disobedience would look like. They not only told us, but God manifested both of them in dealing with Israel. He further told us in 1 Corinthians ten eleven an important scripture. Now, all these things that happened unto Israel, that happened unto them, were for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Paul is writing that for the church. And he's writing that, that all the stuff that happened to Israel, both the good things and the blessings and the bad things and the curses, they were written for our admonition, our warning. Another word for admonish is to warn. Upon whom the ends of the world are come. Well, to whom have the ends of the world come? Us. We're living in these last days. We're at the end of the world. They were written for us to warn us. And so the things that happened to Israel as punishment, the things that happened to Israel as corrective measures were there. And Paul says they were written as an example that we should take warning from them. Dave Gusick writes, commenting on this scripture, Since we are those upon whom the end of the ages have come, we can and should take warning from the bad example of Israel. We have a greater responsibility because we can learn from Israel's mistakes. Amen. You know, the Jews had no model. They had no pattern. They had no precedent from which they could draw wisdom from. But God gave that to us through the life of the Jew. We need to run back to there. People say, well, that's the Old Testament. We're not going to pay attention to it. The God of the Old Testament is not the God of the New Testament. The God of the New Testament is Jesus. Yes, God is the God of the New Testament as well as the God of the Old Testament. And yes, Jesus doesn't change who God is. Hallelujah. It's common biblical knowledge that uh, we are to learn the story of Israel. God never said grace would change that. He never said grace would change him. He never said grace would change the penalty and the destruction which comes with sin. What is happening in the earth today is the same thing that happened to Israel. 
Unrepented sin is killing America. Unrepented sin is killing mankind. It killed people in the days of Noah. It killed the Jews. It destroyed Israel many times over. Yet in the midst of all this, there's a monkey wrench in the midst of all this uh, destruction and death and sin. And it's called the church. It's us. Hallelujah. Understand this. God's judgment and his dealings with the church happen now. Before God will completely and finally judge the nations, he first deals with the church. Judgment begins at the house of God, 1 Peter 4.17. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin with us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Well, I can tell you what it will be, and you should know what it will be. It's found out in the book of Revelation. Of course, we all know that scripture that if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. It's a daily exercise, this personal judgment. The rapture, ouch, the rapture will reveal to us just how well we have been doing in judging ourselves. While the rapture is not in and of itself a judgment of God upon his church, it will definitely serve the purpose. If you call yourself a Christian and you have been judging yourself, you have been confessing your sin, you have been repenting of that, then you most likely are going to be removed during the rapture of the church to spend eternity in heaven from that point on. Hallelujah. But if you call yourself a Christian and you are still here after the rest of us are gone, that will be the evidence you have failed to judge yourself as you should have been doing. During the time of the church on the earth, God is still wooing many to his side. The entire time of the church on the earth, from Pentecost to the rapture, the removal of the church, coincides with the age of grace. The grace age and the church age are synonymous. It is a time when God's condemning judgments on mankind are held at bay. That does not mean his corrective judgments cannot manifest. His love demands he does so. Let me repeat that. During the grace age or during the time when the church is on the earth, evil is being restrained. Not only is evil being restrained, but God's judgments which condemn mankind are being restrained. And we confuse that to think that, well, then God's judgments for the sake of correction can't manifest either. That is false. God's judgments are here to correct us, not to condemn us. You must understand that. The tribulation is a time when God's unrestrained wrath ultimately will be displayed on those who rejected him. But even that is not the final time of condemnation on mankind. Where the church has missed it is understanding that everything that God is doing in the earth today is an act of his loving mercy. Yes, his holiness demands he judges our sin and our iniquity. In his infinite wisdom, he allows the church to be its own judge. Isn't that awesome? If we will judge ourselves today, we will not be judged later. He allows us to be our own judge, but he has reserved the right to step in and help with judging the church if we fail to do that. Ananias and Sapphira, we taught you about that. Communion and judgment, we taught you about that. If we get up in the morning and check ourselves out, go to bed at night, check ourselves out. Lord, did I misrepresent you today? Did I disobey you today? Did I mislead other people? Did I, did I lie? Whatever I did, Father God, forgive me. Judge yourself. Judge yourself and then get under the covering of the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Well, uh, Corinthians 11.32. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, talking about the church. But when the church is judged, we are chastened, rebuked, corrected of the Lord. Why? 
that we should not be condemned with the world. Understand that uh, Jesus takes special care of his church. Judge yourself. I do not want to condemn you with the world. That is not the assignment of the church. That is not the future of the church. That is not the the final destiny of the church. Judge ourselves and we will not be judged with the world. One of the evidences of someone belonging to the church is they judge themselves on a regular basis. Now, that's not the case with the world. They make no pretense of listening to him or even wanting to know God. Uh, He uses blessings. God uses blessings and goodness that lead us to repentance. And he uses prophets. He uses preachers. And when all else is rejected, he relies upon his judgments. But it's all designed to win us. It's in these judgments that his mercy is manifested. These remedial judgments get harder and harder. They will increase in ferocity and destruction right up until the return of Christ. I'm out of time for today. I'm going to pick up there, but I'm about to get into the current judgments in the world. And once again, just know this. They are designed to manifest his great love for us. You know, in the old days with the flood, he killed them all. In one flood, they all wiped out. That's not what he's doing today. He's taking his time and he's going judgment after judgment after judgment. And at any time within those judgments, because God's mercy is on the table, we can repent and we can go ahead and acknowledge him as Lord of our lives and have a future destined to be with him in eternity. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.